0: because we have our our great and wonderful friend, Jenny Vang, preaching this morning. Yes, and Jenny has been... Yes, 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 please, clap for Jenny. (laughs) Look at that, some whistles, some whistles. Thank you, I feel the love. um, I'm just really excited for you all to hear from Jenny. Jenny has been uh, part of our team interning the last couple of years, really, like at least, and we are now sending her with North City where she's gonna continue her internship, but she's also on their staff team, uh, the church plant that we have sent out over this last year. And so we are taking her back for one last Sunday (laughs) to have her preach. Um, Jenny is a wonderful friend, a wonderful sister and auntie. She's also a wonderful cook. And I feel like I shouldn't tell everybody this because you've got a lot on your plate, but pun intended. (laughs) Jenny has taught me the amazingness of Hmong food. It's really the best. And you guys. so get to know Jenny, become friends with her, because she might make this food for you. Jenny also <laughs> works full-time at Bethel Seminary and is a seminary student and won the seminary preaching competition this year, first place. I know. Even more exciting, because I think you got cash money. Okay, <laughs> if everyone's like, seminaries are paying people to preach well, listen, just, it's fine. We'll talk about it later, okay? It's normal in it's seminary normal. It's normal. So we're excited to hear from Jenny. She's going to continue our conversation, and uh, let's give her one more round of applause. Thanks for being here, Jenny. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Steph. Well, you know, I, uh, it's always a little bit strange to be introduced as like an award-winning preacher. I've been telling the staff team that they make it sound like I won an Oscar or like a Grammy or something, that's no, so it's like Oscar, Grammy, and then there's like, there's me. No, no, no. Um, no, but really, I'm so excited to be invited in today to continue the conversation on everyday ways to talk about God. So with that, let me pray for us before we dive in. God, we're so thankful for you. We're thankful for this space to worship and for Sheridan and the ways that they are hospitable to us every, every Sunday, but really throughout the week, and we just pray for them as they continue to do what they do for kids here teaching and learning, God, would you continue to equip them in ways that bring flourishing to these kids and to the teachers. We pray this morning, God, that as we enter into this space with you, Lord, that we would find boldness and courage uh, to continue to having having conversations about you and the, your heart and what you desire for, our, for us in our lives. God, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been following the conversation, we've been talking about the importance of Having everyday conversations about God and how not having these conversations can sometimes actually hinder us from knowing how to effectively teach our kids and our friends and our families about God. And it can sometimes hinder us from from being able to love our our friends and our family well as we seek to talk about this important relationship in our lives. And this morning we continue that conversation on, on a topic that I think is one of the most talked about topics in the church. And it's one of the things that I would say the word, uh, this topic to this morning is something that we talk about more than anything. There's been more worship songs written about this probably than anything else. And if, we, if I pulled this room, we would probably have a lot of different answers as to how we would define this word as it relates to God. And so what is this? It's, it's God's love, God's love. And the community time question today was, what, what does love as a verb mean to you? And as I was thinking about this sermon and thinking about what, what it really looks like to talk about God's love, this phrase love as a verb came to mind. And so I was curious about where this phrase came from and when and why we started using it. And so I, I turned to Google, my best friend, and started to just do some research. And it turns out there's books and songs written with the title Love is a Verb. There's so many blogs, you guys, so many blogs. Everything from parenting to therapy and self-love, social justice, everything under the sun you could think of, the blog's been written about Love is a Verb. And with that, I found also that, that the authors for these books and songs and blogs are people from every uh, every gender, religion, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, all over the board. So in general, it seems that most people are on board with this phrase, love is a verb. I'm doing all this research, and I have this realization that the phrase love is a verb, you know where it comes from? It comes from the dictionary. The dictionary, y'all. So I spent two and a half hours doing all this research, and so basically it's existed since the beginning of time. And so I'll never get those two hours of my life back. But, but what I actually really discovered was that everybody seems to have an opinion about love is a verb. Everybody has thoughts on what it looks like to love people well or what the right way is to love people. And in this conversation about everyday ways to talk about God's love, it's important for us and critical to us as we seek to love our community in the name of Jesus that we engage God's love and we know how to to, to give it to other people. And this morning, I want us to ask the question, what does God's distinct love look like? And how are we called to embody that to others? So let's dive into a passage that helps us to understand and engage this a little bit more. If you have your Bibles with you or an app on your phone, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And as you turn there, I, I want to give you a little bit of context as to where we're entering in here. So John is a close friend and a, and a disciple of Jesus. He's writing this decades after Jesus' death and resurrection, and he's writing to a community of Christians who are who, they're in conflict with other people in their church. And in chapter 2, he says that you're in conflict with those who went out from us or, or people who, who left the church and left faith in God. And so John is telling them, the answer to your tension and addressing this conflict, the answer is to love one another. And he says, this is not a new command. This this has been the command since the beginning. But he understands that in this specific conflict, they're needing a fresh perspective on what it looks like to love one another. And so he's saying that the answer is found in the specific way, in the distinct way that God loves. And so as I read the passage, I want you to look, look for the places where God's love is moving, where God's love is active. So let's pick it up in in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the Day of Judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. There's a lot packed into this passage, but but let's talk about this phrase, God is love. I feel like the, the phrase... The, the phrase "God is love" is a lot of Christians have it like on a mug or like a piece of driftwood in their kitchen or something and and like so it's a phrase that we use a lot or we hear a lot even I would say among not, people who, who don't follow Jesus use this phrase sometimes. but I think we mistake what this really means and I would say that a lot of the time actually when someone says "How would you define God as love?" a lot of the definitions that we have become the same definitions we have for love as a verb. But in reality, the phrase love is a verb is, is at its root limited because these definitions come from, from people who are limited. And so we sometimes believe God is love or that love is a verb equals God is love. But really, it, it, that's not what it means. In this passage, it's very specific as to what it means. When we talk about God's love as uh, these definitions that love is a verb, Sometimes it can become like it's experiential, that it's just kind of something like floating in the air that's going to like hit us in the face someday or something that, for, that we can just like catch like a butterfly. I don't know who catches a butterfly? I don't know. <laughs> um, but but it's, it's, it becomes this thing that's really intangible. And so really, God is love doesn't equal love as a verb, but God's love is a verb. God's love is, is love in action, And and here's where I see that in this passage. First of all, John literally tells us, literally literally tells us what God God's love is. He says that God loved us and sent Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that last part can feel a little bit like church language, but really, what that means is is that that God's love is active love through God becoming human. Jesus, as the Savior of the world, conquered death and brokenness. And so the ultimate act of love, the definition of God is love, is that God, an infinite God, put on finite humanity and literally walked among us, moved towards us. God moved towards us. Jesus moved towards us. And this is precisely why God's love can't be defined by simple things that, that we have, simple definitions we have for love as a verb. God's love moved towards us Let me put up that slide a couple more there we go God's God's love moved towards us but here's what often happens it stops here and it starts to become like this the next slide here we start to we start to hoard God's love and it stops with us and while it's good to, to know the, the love of God that he has for us verses 11 through 15 are very clear about what our response is meant to be. We love God because he first loved us. And so us loving God is not about it about us earning it or about us hoarding his love, but about giving it to other people. We love so that we can... So, so we, we love other people because it's God loving them through us. John says in verse 16, so we rely on the love God has for us. We rely on the love of God and seek to give it to others because what happens is that there's a ripple effect. There's a cycle of God's love. This is what happens. It, it begins again, there's a real ripple effect. A little while ago, I was driving through St. Paul, downtown St. Paul and I was at a stoplight, about to turn left, I had a red arrow and my window was down and there was there was a homeless man in the median and we were within earshot of each other And I was was wearing this hat that day, and he looked at me and said, "Hey, I really like your hat." And normally, I I would just look ahead or or maybe smile, but I did something that felt a little bit risky for me that day. Is I I looked at him and I said, "Hey, thanks. My name's Jenny. What's your name? I I would love to be praying for you today." And he looked at me like I had just said the craziest thing, and he said, "This is what he said. No one ever asks me that. Thanks. My name's Michael, and you can be praying that I find the person who." who stole my backpack this morning. So I drive off, I, I say I'll definitely be praying for you and, and I wanted to actually pray for him and so I drove off and started to pray. And I kid you not, the only words I got out were God I pray for before I just started to weep. And it's not, you know, it's, it's not weird for me to cry. I'm, I cry if I'm like too happy, too sad, mad, all the things. Everything makes me cry, I'm always crying. Um, but, I'm, but I'm talking, I was like ugly, sobs crying. And the only way, when I look back on that day, the only way I know how to explain what happened to me, randomly bursting into tears, is that it was God's love in me wanting to release itself to love Michael. But the amazing thing about this is that the ripple effect of God's love didn't start with me. It started actually with Michael. Because what he didn't know was that that week, I had just had the worst work week. I I didn't, it wasn't just one of those weeks where you kind of feel like a failure. I had an actual big fail. So I was feeling pretty bad about myself that day. And for him to say to me, hey, I really like your hat. Well, I mean, first of all, it's like my favorite hat. So I was like, thank you. Um, But like, for him to say that to me, I didn't just hear this compliment. I heard God saying, hey, listen, I see you. I know what you need. I was reminded of God's love when Michael said that to me. In my response, the, the ripple effect I wanted him to experience being known for God to say through me, Hey, I see you, I know you, you have a name, and you're important. And I don't I don't know if Michael was a Christian or not, but he's able to love as God loves because he bears the image of God. And I think this is I think this is what John is referring to when he says that 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 love is that God's love is made complete in us, and that in this world we're like Jesus. When John says that God's love is made complete in us, he's not saying that that God's love is incomplete or that it's lacking. I think what he's referring to here is that all people experience God's love, but because they might not know it as God's love, when we, as God's people, as people who know God's love, when we love through it, then people can attribute it to God. We're called to love as Jesus loves. And so when he said to me, hey, I like your hat, I wasn't just, that, that was nice. That was nice. even though it was. What ultimately happened was that I was reminded of God's love and wanted to create a ripple effect. And even though that was kind of an everyday experience, an everyday little, seemingly little thing, it was powerful for me to experience God's love through, I like your hat. And this is God's distinct love, is that he, he says, I know what you need. And I'm going to give that to you in this moment. So, so what does it look like to do this on a daily basis in our lives? And what does it look like to talk about this? There's, there's four questions that I, I want to, to call us to ask this morning. The first one, what everyday spaces can I intentionally step towards others in love? Whether or not we know it, we embody God's love wherever we go with our friends, our family, at work, at, at, at Trader Joe's, at Starbucks, wherever you are. We embody God's love. And, you know, when I think about the love of Jesus, it went out of its way. He went out of his way to love people. Jesus could have taken, when his disciples said, hey, we have these two fish and these five loaves of bread, Jesus could have just fed, like, a couple, a couple families. But, but, but instead he said, no, 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 we're going to go out of our way and feed multitudes. He fed multitudes, and so his ability to multiply is so that we can multiply it now, and, and yes, we may not be able to, to feed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread, but something we can do. We, you could make a donation to the Sheridan story and let kids know, hey, you're not going to go home hungry. That's an active step forward where you can step into loving others with God's distinct love. If you don't have the financial means for that, you can can volunteer with any number of local organizations in your community. Where is God calling you to step forward towards others in loving them? The second question I want us to ask, am I actually using words? Am I actually using words? Because speaking is also a verb. Talking, using words, is also a verb. You may have heard the quote, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. And while this quote gets at the idea that God's love is love in action, it doesn't quite get at the reality that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, a lot of the time needs words in order for people to attribute that love to God when we love them. Loving like God, ultimately, is not just about living it. Because all throughout Scripture, you see places where people used words, actually talked to show the love of God. And so for us today, this could mean on any given day, someone could say to you, how can you, how can you be in a meeting with that person every day? It's, it's so frustrating. Or, or how can you keep meeting with that relative who's causing all this drama in the family? Or, or how can you keep following that person on Instagram and reading their tweets every day? And you, know, you could say something like, I just try really hard or I'm trying to do my best. But you could also say, Hon- honestly, it would be almost impossible for me to love this person if I didn't know the love of God. And do you risk sounding weird? Yeah, sure, probably. But here's the thing, God's love is distinct, and so when you talk about it, it's probably gonna sound a little bit strange to some people, especially if they've never experienced it or heard it, but you're using your words to be honest with them to say that it is actually truly hard to love people sometimes. For, for me, on a daily basis, even though I'm trying to love other people in the name of Jesus, I inevitably fail at this because sometimes it is just easier to default to whatever love and patience I can muster up within myself. That's less energy. That's less energy. But when I say things like, honestly, it's hard to love people sometimes, but I know the love of Jesus and I'm trying to rely on that. Using your words actually causes them to experience the reality of God's love is that it's distinct it's distinct and so instead of relying on our fear of sounding weird I want to encourage us to use our actual words to say these things to actually talk about God and the next question I want us to ask is instead of relying on fear in what ways do I rely on fear rather than the love of God John says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the the message translation of this passage says, well-informed love banishes fear since fear is crippling. Let me read that again. Well-informed love banishes fear since fear is crippling. This means that fear can often put up walls. But again, the love of Jesus moves towards people. The nature of the love of God is that because it's rooted in Jesus and what God has done on the cross, God's love is going to be, loving other people as God loves is going to be sacrificial and risky. It is not about what you may or may not receive in return, but it is about the other person. Loving as God loves will likely require you to confront some things in, in the lives of the people that you love that are really hard to confront. It, it might require you to say to your friend who's struggling with clinical anxiety and depression, you might have to say to them, hey, I, I think it's it's time for you to, to consider seeing a therapist or a counselor, or a professional, and get some help. It might require you to say to your, to, to set up a meeting with your boss and say, hey, we're good friends, but the way that you're micromanaging this team, it's really lowering morale and, and impacting team effectiveness. Can we talk about this? These kinds of loving conversations require a lot of courage, a lot of boldness. But God's love already in us, not because we have to find it or look for it, but because of God's spirit in us, the love of God in us is what gives us that boldness to step towards people in these conversations. You might have someone in mind right now that you've been wanting to have this conversation with and you've been looking for the courage to do that. This morning, I want to, to, to embolden you and say, call that person, send that text, send that email, just to say, hey, I really love you and I'd love to talk to you about a couple of things. And the reality here is that a lot of the time when we are trying to love people like God loves us, we tend to look at things on the surface to, to define whether or not someone is worthy of our love. I, I understand that in the conversation of loving people that our minds can only go so far and what it really looks like and how capable we are of doing that because we ask questions like how can i love the person who's intentionally hurt me or 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 why does the person who committed violent acts why do they deserve my love but if we make it about who deserves love I, i'm i'm really convinced that that we may not ever choose love if we make it about who deserves it. Because because if we make it about who deserves it, then we can really only get to a point before we start to say, these people don't deserve it anymore. When we look at someone and say to them uh, what they've done, and we say, this is all you are, or this is all I see in you, we won't be able to, to love as God loves. If we look at things on the surface, we won't be able to see the image of God in them. It'll be really hard for us to choose love but the amazing thing about God's love is that God's love doesn't just say, do whatever you want, you do you, you're fine. God's love doesn't just tolerate the brokenness that we, we and other people bring into the world. God doesn't validate those things. God's love says, I love you despite that brokenness, despite that sin. I love you unconditionally despite that. But here's, here's the best part of God's love. God's love says, yes, I love you unconditionally in the midst of your brokenness and sin, but I am unwilling to leave you there. I'm unwilling to leave you there. And this is the root of God's love. It is sacrificial, it is willing to step towards us, to call out the things in our lives. And the last question I want us to ask with that is am I receiving the love of God? Am I receiving the love of God? There's a song we're gonna sing later, uh, Reckless Love, one of my favorites. And there's, there's a lyric in it that says, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. This is the love of God. And those lyrics, those lyrics aren't just about God, like, chasing after us, kind of, like, stalking or creeping on our lives, waiting to, like, catch up to us. It's not him saying, like, stop, stop. And it's not just us, like, deciding to stop. It's it's also not this, like, desperate romantic kind of love that you see in romantic comedies. You know, it's not it's not Will Smith in the movie Hitch, like, jumping on the car, chasing after the girl that he loves to profess his love. It's not that kind of love either. This kind of love, this kind of love is willing to endure all things in order to find us and proclaim over us that you are loved. So have you experienced this kind of love? Have you received this kind of love? And is this the love that you love others with? And do you know the difference between when you're loving as God loves and when you're just loving out of what you can muster up out of yourself? If you struggle to answer that question, yes, I want to encourage you to really reflect on that, to reflect on that. Because God's love doesn't run out, but when we rely on our own love for other people, that will eventually run out. Let me invite the band up. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but when I think about this kind of incredible love, uh, if I'm honest, sometimes... I wonder if, if we're actually really capable of loving other people in this way. I can kind of become pessimistic sometimes and wonder if the love of Jesus, if we know how to really love that way anymore. But, but when I really stop and ask God to help me see it, not only do I see that it's possible, it's very much alive. It's very much alive. When tragedy hits our world and we see it all over the news, you know what starts to happen is that people start to post stories of, hey, here's a reminder that kindness and goodness still exists in the world. It's the smallest thing, like, you know, like a person rescuing a cat out of a tree or something, but we see it in the midst of tragedy, and we're like, oh, people still know how to be good. People still know, still know how to, to be kind. And the reason why is because within each one of us, we long to see and live out the kind of sacrificial, deep, authentic love of God. We desire ultimately to see God's distinct love in the world. And my challenge to us this morning is to become these stories, become the stories that the world is longing for. Make it impossible for your friends and your family to need the internet to find stories of God's distinct love because it happened from the person who they took an order from at Starbucks, because it happened from the person sitting next to them in a cubicle, because it happened when, when you called your sister and said, hey, how you doing? Make it impossible for people to need the internet to experience the distinct love of God. When I think about the song, Reckless Love, that we're about to sing, it calls me to ask the question, am I willing to go into the shadow of someone else's life to light it up with God's love? Am I willing to climb a mountain to let someone know that they're loved? Would, would, would I be willing to kick down walls and tear down lies, going after someone so they might experience the distinct love of God? Am I willing to do this? Because this this is the true definition of love is a verb. It's rooted in God's distinct love. Who do you love like this? Who would you love like this? And who is God calling you to love in this way? For Jesus, he, did, he didn't just... Randomly choose to love. He was very intentional about the ways he loved. His love lived, was lived out when he walked a dirt road to find Saul, who would become Paul. Who was Saul was persecuting Jesus, and Jesus didn't say, hey, stop it. He didn't just, he didn't just call it out. He, essentially, he actually said, hey, instead, I'm going to make you the greatest church planter. And you're going to be the greatest encourager for these new Christians and new churches. God's love. Looked at Peter when he denied Jesus and didn't say, I told you so, but gave him a compassionate look that caused him to become the very thing that Jesus said he would become, which is the rock of the church. The love of Jesus multiplied two fish and five loaves of bread for the multitudes went out of his way to love other people. My greatest desire is that we, we would be the church that Jesus imagined when he stretched out his arms and and died on the cross, and poured out all of his love for us. That we would live in that way. Not just because we're trying to earn something, but because we so deeply desire to release God's love. God has entrusted us with his distinct love to release it to the world. The love of Jesus, the nature of the love of God, that it gives itself freely, willing to risk loving other people, willing to risk talking about it, because it's not about what may or may not be said in return, but it's ultimately about people, ourselves included, experiencing the love of God, expecting nothing in return. This is the love of Jesus, and God has called us to do the same. I'm gonna invite forward the communion servers. As we move into this time of communion, I want us to remember that just like God's love, communion isn't something you take, it's something you receive. We're going to have servers on both sides of the room and as you come forward, you can take the gluten-free bread and and dip it into the juice, symbolizing the body of Christ broken for you and his blood shed on the cross. And after after you receive communion, if you're in need of prayer, we're going to have people on our prayer teams on both sides of the room and you can... Go to one of them after you take and receive communion. And you can ask for specific prayer or you can just ask them to pray for you. As you receive communion, remember God's distinct love for you that brought him to, to put on infinite or to, 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 to take his infinite holiness and become finite humanity to walk among us. Remember that. And remember that as we take and receive communion together, that what happens is that we can see the love of God distinctly around us. And come forward when you're ready.